All right, here we go, everybody. Welcome to episode number 100, episode number 100 of Sports Cards Live. It is Saturday night, June the 5th, 2021. My name is Jeremy Lee, and I got a surprise for you. Roll tape. Sports Cards is a lifestyle. Sports Cards, and we live now. Jeremy Lee in the building, and every guest that you ever needed. Sports Cards after hours keep the hobby heated. Updates, hobby talk like you've never seen it. Sports Cards live, and I could ever beat it. Sports Cards is a lifestyle. Sports Cards, and we live now. Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. Whoa, did, did you guys see that? All right, well, I do want to shout out my buddy Sean from Victory Investments, uh, who did write that song, the original music, and put that video together, for which was going to be the new intro video for Sports Cards Live. I, I think it's a lot of fun, so thank you to Sean from Victory Investments for that. Before we get to tonight's show, everybody, I know you guys are excited. I do want to thank last Saturday's co-host was Sean Chalk and the 15 collectors who joined us for the Wayne Gretzky tribute show. It was episode number 99, and Wayne Gretzky wore number 99, hence the Wayne Gretzky tribute episode. Also want to thank last Saturday's After Hours guest, Spencer Williams. We had an interesting discussion on all the changes going on at eBay. Next Saturday on Sports Cards Live is Ladies' Night. Card Ladder co-founder Christina Thorson will be will kick it off, followed by Sam Shuford from Women of the Hobby. will be joining on After Hours. Tonight on After Hours, the always insightful, thoughtful, analytical Chris McGill of Card Ladder will join me to debrief tonight's show and discuss some other current hobby events. All right, we are now past 2,900 subscribers for the show for the channel. 3,000 subscribers is in sight. I want to thank all subscribers. Greatly appreciate your viewership and your support through these first 100 episodes of Sports Cards Live. It's awesome. I really can't believe it's gone by so fast. I want to welcome all new viewers tonight. I know we have new viewers here with us this evening. I want to welcome you all. If you're not yet subscribed to the channel, please do so. I bring you guys great guests every Saturday night. I want to shout out Ben Carlos for doing a live earlier this evening as a bit of an opener for the show. Check out him. Check out his show on YouTube. Friends with Ben. He's an awesome guy. He ho- He's the host of the best podcast you've never heard of. I also want to shout out the Saturday morning show, Hobby Hotline, where I guest host along with hobby stalwarts, Dr. James Beckett, Rich Klein, Brian Gray, among others. And today I do want a uh, special shout out to our friend John Newman, from Sports Card Nation, lost his brother the other day. So thoughts and prayers go on out to the Newman family uh, this weekend for sure. Also want to shout out the Big Three Hockey for their support of the channel. Give them a follow on Instagram at the Big Three Hockey. Want to shout out all the podcast listeners. Appreciate you all. The podcast is now fixed. All the episodes are uploaded to Apple once again. And I want to remind everybody the Virtual Sport Card Expo, June 19th and 20th. I'll be set up. Look forward to seeing a bunch of you there. Admission is free and uh, from the comfort of your own home. I'm going to roll a bunch of things on the ticker here shortly so you guys can see where to go for all these shout-outs. Also, as you probably know, the National is officially a go. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be set up with as Sports Cards Live at the Iconic Auctions booth. So be sure to come by and say hi. I'll be doing some live streams from there, and I'm inviting everybody to come by 
during those live streams, show the cards you're bringing in, show the, you know, talk about the show, what you're, what you're seeing, what you're feeling, the energy that you are absorbing at the national for everyone who isn't there. Let's let, let's live vicariously through everyone that is. All right, guys, as you know, your comments, your questions are in play. However, I expect a busy chat tonight and most of the questions that people want asked are already on the agenda. Trust me on that. I will be keeping my eye on it, but to the extent that I don't address them, I just need to apologize in advance. All right. Yeah, we already got tons of comments there. Okay. Tonight's guest, guys. Tonight's guest is the executive chairman of Collectors Universe, the parent company of PSA, Professional Sports Authenticators. He is a lifelong collector from New York City. Let's bring him out. Nat Turner, welcome to episode 100, Sports Cards Live. How are you doing tonight, my friend? Oh, great. Thanks for having me. Oh, Matt, thank you for thank you for joining. It's a pleasure to have you, Nat. It's been uh, something I've been looking forward to a while. I know the audience is excited about it as well. So we're going to jump in, guys. We're going to start with a little bit about Nat himself. Then we're going to get into the PSA stuff. But Nat, I want to start off with a really simple question. Why do you love cards? <laughs> uh, I don't know. There's something for today. It's nostalgic. Uh, you know, I love cards because I liked them when I was a kid and I'm trying to not grow old, <laughs> but there's something, there's something really romantic about, you know, opening. I just opened a bunch of packs with a friend of mine in, in the neighborhood uh, with our kids, um, which I remember doing when I was a kid. So it's, it's the whole tradition concept for me as well. Uh, but the chase, you know, I, I love uh, collecting. I love always having a new goal that, oftentimes is not achievable but you know at least you could the 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 chase is almost more important than you know the card or more fun than the card itself um yeah all those things combined i hear you man the chase is is almost more important than the card itself and you know i've had this conversation lately with several people where it's like what keeps us going as collectors you know it, it some people might think that you chase a card you 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 find it you buy it it lands and then you start over again, but it actually doesn't work that way. You chase a card, you find it, maybe you buy it, and then you chase another card, you find it, you buy it, then the first card comes in, then the second card. The process is ongoing. Do you find that for yourself as well? Yeah. I, and, it, you know, the the at least for me, like when I pick new chases, they're very, um, like they're not very intentional. They just kind of happen. You know, like, for example, I'll have um, like my PMG Green Chase. So the, that started where I bought because I liked, uh, I had a card when I was a kid, I pulled a card, Carrie Kittles green. And then actually on my honeymoon in 2011, I bought a Gary Payton green on eBay. Cause I thought it was undervalued and I got it. In, I got it in my hands. I was like, damn it. This is like a really good looking card. And I started, you know, like it wasn't, I just started seeing them on eBay and I started slowly buying. And then all of a sudden I was building the set. Um, and then, you know, as that, and then I'm like, oh, I might as well build the red set. You know, I start, you know, and you, then I might as well build all the PMGs. Oh, well, then I might as well build all the paralleled serial numbered serial number parallels from the 90s. Then it just, you know, it snowballs. And that's I think most most true collectors feel that way. You know, that snowball effect where you start with one card or two cards or a collection. It just kind of keeps growing. Um, yeah. yeah, that's it for me. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's like the projects, right? We all have projects going on um, and uh they ha they happen kind of just out of nowhere. Oftentimes, you know, you you'll pull a card and then it's like, oh, look at the checklist. All right, let's fill in that checklist. Let's go for everything. Or you, you, I find the projects they they it's almost like picking up a single card. They can start out of nowhere and they just 
they're they're what keeps the the hobby. Um, they're a part of what keeps the hobby really interesting for for us collectors, us real hardcore collectors. Speaking of the PMG Green Michael Jordan that you bought about two years ago, I heard you say that you know because it's 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 actually slabbed in a PSA holder that says authentic. I believe it says trimmed on it. All and you said you said that you don't care that it if it's trimmed. It's just about owning the card. And you know I I kind of I actually need to thank you for opening my mind to that to to. To collecting in that manner myself i recently acquired a pmg green sydney crosby came back authentic and i don't care and part of me is like hey if it's good enough for Nat, maybe it's good enough for me too you know it opened my mind to that where it's really just about owning the card as far as really rare cards go so yeah it's a true collector's perspective do you feel that way about any other cards as well yeah i mean i think that's true for most rare cards uh like one of ones anything under 10 or 20 in existence. I mean, grade really shouldn't matter. I mean, it's weird, you know, as the, as the guy with PSA saying that, but I mean, the truth is grade doesn't matter for a lot of cards. Um, and it, well, it's in the eye of the beholder. So for me, like grade really does matter for certain cards. Like, okay. So, you know, it's 1950s and sixties Mickey Mantle cards that I, I collect. Like I really care about the grade in those cards. Cause there are, you know, presumably tens or hundreds of thousands copies of those cards. That's the way to differentiate amongst them. But you get into the 90s and the 2000s, you know, you know, a rare one of one LeBron James from 03. Like, who cares what, you know, I don't care if it's cut in half. Honestly, <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe I care about that. But I mean, if it's, you know, if, it, if it's got a little piece taken out of it, as long as it's identified and correctly um, labeled, you know, it's 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 irrelevant um, to me. So. Yeah, it's about the card, right? It's about the card. I want to ask you this: How does the hobby itself enhance your life? Um, I mean, my wife would probably say it it, it detracts given how much time I spend on it. Uh, but you know, for me, it's a really good like therapeutic distraction from from work. Um, you know, I spend I've said this a bunch. I spend it. I mean, it's ramping up nowadays especially with my time involved with PSA. But I mean, just as a pure collector, I mean, at least three hours a day. And, you know, I'm scanning cards. I'm adding I'm adding them in Photoshop and putting them in Flickr. I'm browsing eBay. I'm browsing Golden. I'm, like, I'm communicating with collectors. I'm organizing. I'm, I'm reorganizing my room right here. Uh, you know, it's just fun. Uh, I really like it. Um, I would be less happy without it. I mean, I know that. And I've met a lot of great friends through it. Um, you know, I, I love card shows. You know, it's a social thing for me going there. And I, I actually now with my five-year-old son, I mean, it's a really cool thing to, you know, share with him. And so it's now like a, a familiar, like something that we do together. Like we just opened some, some car. We went to a card shop today in New Jersey. We spent two hours in traffic getting home. Like, you know, it's all, it's, it's, is what it is. It's, it's, it's so much fun. You know, it's like the, the, that new intro song that I have in video, it, it's, it starts off by saying sports cards is a lifestyle. And, you know, I said that on uh, the stacking slabs, uh, Brent McGrath's podcast a few weeks ago and uh, Sean, who wrote the song picked up on that and worked it into the intro. And to me, like you just said, three hours a day, that that's pretty light for a lot of collectors. I think, you know, I know I'm, 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 I put more than that into the hobby, most likely, and uh, many people do. Um, so it, it really is. But what you're saying, it, it, I really think that the hobby is becoming a, a lifestyle for a lot of people. What, uh, you know, 2020, the pandemic, uh, now we're into 2021. How have you evolved as a collector 
I, we understand how what's happened to you business wise with uh, Collectors Universe, but how have you how did you evolve as a collector uh, since the beginning of 2020? Um, well, during the pandemic, I went home and stayed with my parents, like most people did, uh, like a lot of people did if they had the the chance. And so I went home and my mom handed me all the boxes that were taking up space in her attic and said, Hey, you need to do something with these. Uh, and so I, I went through them all and realized how much shit I had as a kid, like, like mainly bad cards, but also, you know, how I approached organization and how seriously I took it. You know, a lot of the designs that I, I, I posted some on Instagram of the cards that I designed as a kid, like that was really, um, important actually for me. That's actually the inspiration behind what I, the PSA deal, believe it or not, uh, was, was kind of a, I was already a really big collector, but it kind of amped up when I went home and, and re got reintroduced to my childhood stuff. So, which again was like, I can't even describe the quantity, but also the, the lack of value in most, in almost all of it. So, um, what changed is I actually started collecting a lot of low end cards since 2020. Um, I've been doing sets that, um, are, you know, probably not that, uh, sexy for lack of a better word, but, but sets that I care a lot about. I pulled one out as an example. Like this is a card that I used to care about when I was a kid, which is the Vince Carter encore rookie. And it's the uh, gold FX parallel out of one twenty five. And, um, like that's not a very expensive card, but I had, you know, a bunch of the other rookies in that set. And I found, I found that set in my childhood collection, missing the Vince Carter. Uh, so as an example, like, and I was missing Mike, but you know, a couple other people, but, uh, you know, I spent like months, you know, trying to complete this set that I had started when I was like 13 years old. So it's stuff like that. I've been, I've been trying to fill out these kind of lower end sets, um, you know, cards that are 10 to $20 raw, um, you know, that one's maybe a hundred, $200. Um, it's not like PMG greens and prism golds and all this stuff. So I'd say that. And then I've also shifted a lot to wax. Um, I personally have, have, um, you know, really, uh, enjoyed, uh, I have it all around me. I'll show you some in a second. I pulled it all out. Um, I've really enjoyed kind of, um, you know, the chase of finding the boxes and packs that I, I, frankly couldn't afford when I was a kid and I really wanted to open. I've opened maybe one or two packs when I was a kid of some of this stuff, but um, you know, some of it I opened a lot of the lower and stuff, but you know, having those same boxes that I remember vividly like staring at in card stores uh, and then, and actually I, I collect one of every card, but in boxes, I'm now trying to get as many of these specific boxes as I can. I don't know why, but that's what I'm doing. So I'd love as many pat boxes of say, you know, 2000, or excuse me, 1997 EX 2001. Um, and that's just, you know, a weird little thing I'm doing now, but that, and that's, that's within the last year. So things, yeah. things are always changing though. No doubt. I think a lot of people are going back to, uh, you know, maybe completing sets that they let, that they hadn't uh, really bothered with for a lot of years, just because of more time on their hands over the last year. So, you know, very consistent with uh, with what you're with, with what you're up to. I like this here. Car Chop Dad says intro needed more cowbell, perhaps in reference to my shirt. And I wore this shirt tonight for episode 100 because it's the same shirt I wore on episode number one. So Car Chop Dad, thanks for picking up on that. Uh, okay, one more question for you before we get into PSA stuff, Nat. Uh, you know, we're, we're experiencing a bit of a dip in the in the hobby right now. A lot of people are re referring referencing it in in content. What are your thoughts on this dip that we seem to be experiencing right now? And what do you think it means for the next couple of years in the hobby? Yeah, you know, I'm, I, 
I pre- honestly was probably the last person to realize there was a dip. I mean, I don't really track prices that closely because uh, I'm I'm largely buying things that, uh, well, like I said, I've mainly been playing on the lower and stuff as of late. But uh, price to me, or I should say value, like the, the value of the cards in my collection aren't that important. I mean, I, 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 I love when cards go up in value, but like I don't really care if they go down or up, honestly. Uh, it's more about owning the card for me and collecting. So, but I have noticed uh, as of very recently, uh, you know, like certain LeBron cards like Topps Chrome and uh, PSA 10s and things like that have certainly dipped. Uh, I personally think a lot of like, uh, I would say crypto bro type people got into the hobby in the, in the earlier in this year, uh, just like you saw with NFTs and Top Shot and other stuff. And, and, you know, doesn't take that many people to bid items up and set a new record. And then, you know, maybe that doesn't be, that's not sustained because there's aren't, there aren't many people after them to keep those prices up. I think you saw that with Jordan, uh, rookies, uh, PSA 10 rookies and, um, but I look at if you have a long time horizon, I kind of like it because, you know, I'm hesitant to say it, but like, you know, these people who don't really care about the cards, like, you know, you should kind of be punished a little bit for, you know, getting in and, and pumping it up and, and treating it purely like, you know, caring nothing about the card. Um, you know, that's that's what happens. Uh, you know, it's it's like it happens. it's not just cards. It happens in any asset class. And so I think it's going to weed out some of the people who are you know, I would say not, don't really care and don't really, you know, frankly, you know, don't have a future in it because they don't really enjoy it. Uh, and it was just a fad. And I think that um, if you take a long-term horizon, the card hot, the card industry is as healthy as it's ever been. Uh, you know, there's more people uh, collecting, there's more people bidding, there's more people grading. There's, I mean, some of the stats I've seen, not just from PSA, but from other companies, I mean, it's mind blowing, you know, the number, and you go to card shows and there's kids walking around buying packs. Um, like that, that wasn't the case in 2015, you know, 2016, even 2017, it was a bunch of guys like me or older who were just, you know, dealer to dealer collector. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a very healthy hobby. Um, I, I am very optimistic. So. Yeah. yeah. When, when the, when the PSA 10 1986 Jordan rookies sold at the end of January on golden auctions, that, that kicked off a whole, uh, you know, a real, like a, a bit of a gold rush, if you will, for the next month. And as, as Ken himself has said, you know, that brought out more PSA 10 Michael Jordans. Well, yeah. if supply goes up, you know, prices are going to come down. There's fewer buyers at that point. There's 320 but, of them, or how, I mean, close somewhere around there. Yeah, it's a lot. Actually. Yeah. 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 And, and by the way, real quick, on a, from an economic basis, you know, low interest rates. Inflation, you're seeing this around the world in all sorts of assets, housing prices, lumber, all sorts of stuff. And cards are no, I mean, all alternative assets, Bitcoin, except, I mean, you're going to, this is very related to the, um, I would say what you're seeing, you know, as far as monetary and fiscal policy in the US. Cards are no different than a lot of other assets that have been inflated in the last year. So that's another factor. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. Thanks for those perspectives on collecting and the hobby itself. Let's jump into some uh, PSA stuff. So our, the first thing I want to know is, you know, we heard that that you and, a, and your group of investors were going to be taking PSA private late last year. It got delayed. They had to come back with a second offer. The question I have is, what was really the, the deciding factor for you and your investment group to, 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 take, P, to take Collector's Universe private at all to, to really get in there? What was the, what were the de- deciding factors for you guys? Yeah. I mean, we were, I would say very 
borderline at the end based on how expensive it had gotten, um, to be honest. And prior to that, I would say the conviction we developed was largely around our belief in the technology vision and our ability to implement it. And honestly, the team's willingness and openness, like Joe Orlando and team's willingness and openness to those sorts of technology investments, uh, even, even potentially disruptive things like, you know, which we can talk about, you know, things that maybe PSA hasn't done before, like, you know, for example, Genement, which we can talk about and some other things like that. So um, I don't think we would have done the deal had we not had in, had confidence that, you know, because I'm a tech guy. I mean, the people I brought to the company are all technology oriented people. Uh, you know, had that not been a welcome thing, you know, and also not welcome in the hobby, I don't think we would have done the deal. And so that was that was a big part of it. Uh, again, the team, I mean, you know, I spent a good amount of time. I visited the, the, the offices a few times prior to the acquisition during COVID. That was actually kind of risky or, or not risky. Uh, well, it was risky, but it was it was also a bit um, odd, you know, to have like someone like me just show up in the office during a global pandemic. So, it, you know, there were some things like that where I really built a good relationship with some of the people there and again, built a, a lot of confidence and conviction that uh, this kind of stuff we wanted to do uh, were going to be, were going to be possible. Um, yeah. And, that, and then also too, from a collecting perspective, I would say when I first called them about it, you know, it was an idea and I didn't necessarily have the full vision in mind yet. I just knew it would be really fun. But as we, as, as the months went on, it became so much clearer, you know, as a collector is, is what I mean. Like the things we could do from a product perspective that would make the hobby better. Um, I can get into some of that, but I mean, it, it was, it was really cool to kind of, you know, have a, basically a blank whiteboard and just say, okay, if, if, you know, PSA was, you know, again, private and able to invest in a different way, didn't have to pay a dividend, could reinvest its earnings in, in, you know, technology, et cetera. Like, what would you build? And that was a, what if, and that was a really cool exercise. I brought in some, you know, close colleagues in the hobby as well, who, you know, Hey, what would you do if this, you know, <laughs> and some of those people have actually joined full time. Um, and again, that those kind of things really, it was a really fun exercise and a, and a very, I would say, uh, compelling, you know, vision kind of developed over the preceding six months and ultimately until the deal closed. So, yeah. Okay. No. Great answer, man. I mean, it's, uh, I like the, I like the whiteboard analogy, you know, go in there. And, and the fact that, that the, the existing team and, and, and uh, management was willing to work with you. That's uh, that, that's encouraging. Cause you know, when I found out that it was you who was leading the charge to, to acquire PSA, I, I was very pleased because I know you're a collector and, you know, so it leads me to my next question is how do you bring the collector mentality to running what is arguably the most important company in the, in the hobby? Yeah. And by the way, Jeffrey Hart asked a question I'd love to answer after this, if you don't mind. Um, I don't mind if I could, if I can find yeah. it. I'm, I'm I trying to, question. I'm trying to keep my eyes on the comments, everybody. Yeah. And I'm just really unable to right now. I'm just going to put it out there, but not after this one, we'll do some comments. All right. We will. Yeah. So collector mentality. I mean, look, the, the, the PSA is way more than a company to me. I mean, I've said this a bunch, you know, I view it as a personal responsibility to protect PSA, not, not, you know, in a kind of ostentatious kind of way, but just, you know, there's, there's things that could go wrong with a grading company, a, 
you know, the wrong kind of owner could come in and say, hey, you need to grade 5x the number of cards per day. And who cares about the grade you put on and quality and consistency? Uh, you know, they could come in and say, hey, you know, we you can't hire any more people and we're just going to milk the, you know, or you could do it, you know, like tops, you know, what in the eighties that you saw what happened with, with card manufacturers. I mean, you can really, you can make wrong decisions uh, and, and really impact the company. And so I'm again, personally as a collector uh, never going to put PSA in a position like I would say best analogy is like the card manufacturers did to the hobby in the eighties and nineties. So that's the highest uh, level. At the lowest, or at a kind of 10,000 foot view, I mean, from a product perspective, there's so many things that a collector like myself wants uh, from someone like, from a company like PSA. So for example, uh, set registry. I mean, there are so many things. Most people don't use set registry actually for modern, ultra modern cards. It's very common for vintage, um, kind of older cards, packs, things like that. But, you know, if you go on there and look, for example, at 2012 Prism, there's like 11 people you know, who are trying to complete that set officially on that red. That's not that many. Uh, whereas you go to 1952 tops and there are hundreds or 1986 Fleer basketball, there are thousands. And so, uh, you know, to me, it's, I really want to get the, the collectors uh, of the, of the future and of the, you know, current cards, recent, like modern cards, more engaged with, with PSA. Uh, second, secondarily, I would say is understanding the importance of consistency and accuracy uh, and quality of grading. Uh, I can't begin to describe the amount of pressure that PSA and the grading team and the whole company is under with regards to the demand it saw over the past year. Um, it's, it's you know, quite admirable to imagine. And I know we get a lot of shit for it on Twitter, but like, believe me, like you should be proud that we're unhappy that we are not decreasing our standards uh, and, you know, just handing out tens every day just to get the cards out uh, because that we'd have much bigger problems as a hobby in three or four years, if that were happening. Um, and we're not going to let it happen. We're going to, we're going to grow the grading team as, as, as we can uh, maintaining that quality, if not improving it uh, and implementing technology. And so I think personally as a collector, I realize how important that is uh, you know, a, a financial investor coming in, you know, probably doesn't appreciate, you know, when they look at the label, you know, who cares if it's a seven, eight or nine or 10, like it really does matter. And, you know, when a collector looks like it's at it for most cards, like I said, not the really, really, really rare stuff, but for most cards, set collectors, it really does matter. So, uh, as a collector, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm not going to screw it up. Um, and you know, I'm here to protect and provide air cover to the PSA team. So, um, yeah, those are just some few things on the collector side mentality. <clears throat> well, and, and you know what you just said about kind of protecting, uh, or providing cover to the team. My next question is what is your role specifically at, you know, I understand you're chairman of the board. That's a, that's an oversight position most mm -hmm. of the time, but you, you know, as a collector and from what you just went through the level of detail as, as to which you, you see my, my perceptions that you, you are involved, you've got your finger on the pulse of things. Can you kind of let everybody know what your, what, what, not so much what your, your title isn't what I want to know. I want to, what, what is your role specifically? Do you have your hands in everything? Yeah, well, so I'm exec chairman. And so that means I'm chairman, but I'm also an executive. So I spend, I'm moving, I'm pretty close to it already full time. So I'm spending most of my time with the executive team, supporting Joe, supporting Steve uh, Sloan, who's the head of PSA, Brett, who's the head of PCGS. Uh, we've brought on a CTO, Dan Tran, who's who I'm spending a lot of time with. We have a chief product officer who's starting soon, who I'm excited about. Um, 
we've got a lot of, you know, I would say talented engineers and product managers joining as well. So I spend a lot of my time on recruiting. I would say initially for the last three or four months, that's been 50 plus percent, um, which is kind of the job of, you know, that I've had at Flatiron and the CEO at those companies. Yeah, that's the number one job of any executive at the highest level is recruiting and, and making sure you have the right people on the team. Uh, I would say that product strategy, you know, I spend a lot of time with Joe and Steve talking about as a collector, you know, hey, like, for example, I really think we should have inner sleeves in every slab to, to in increase um, protection of the card, as an example. Now, that's when, you know, as a, as a naive, you know, exec chairman, like, you know, David and other people in the company will be like, hey, like, there's a million reasons why we can't do that overnight you know, let's, let's, you know, crawl, walk, run. And, and then we, we ultimately come to some sort of plan, but, you know, I make the priorities clear as to kind of what I think are important. And I've got quite a few, uh, you know, that, that I need to be careful with because we can't do them all at once. Uh, investor relations. So, you know, I spend a lot of time dealing with um, our investor base just to make sure they understand that things are on the right track and, um, you know, they read Twitter and like all that stuff. So I need to make sure we're, you know, we're keeping everybody, uh, you know, uh, sane and that, you know, they're getting emails just like I am. And then I'd say lastly is, um, I do a lot of customer interactions. You know, I respond to every message on, on Instagram, which I think the PSA team hates, but, uh, you know, I, I love engaging with collectors. I block people. Now I've learned that life is a little better when, if someone, you know, it curses me out for giving them a nine instead of a 10 thinking it's my, <laughs> that I personally did that. I don't have time for that, but if you're respectful, you know, I'm going to engage with you. And so I spend a lot of time going back and forth. Um, oh, sorry. One more thing is, is on uh, strategic partnerships and acquisitions. So, you know, I spent a lot of time on the Genement deal and helping Kevin and team integrate. Uh, we've got some other things in the works as well. Um, but, you know, I spend a lot of time on kind of strategic and M&A and that kind of stuff as well. Awesome, man. Let, let's talk about Genement, which you just mentioned. So a great, great transition there. So, my first question with respect to Genemin and, you know, the hobby's understanding, you know, people want people want there to be what we, you know, computer grading. So my, the first question is, is computer grading the future? And to what extent can computers assess the condition of a card? Yeah, so, um, you know, we view computerized grading actually mainly to detect uh, fraud or manipulation of cards, alterations. Uh, that's the number one priority. I've talked about that a bunch with regards to trimming, recoloration, um, you know, all sorts of things that you see with cards, pressing. Um, so uh, I, oh, inauthentic cards. Like you look at 90s cards, you know, there are straight fakes that are coming out of Taiwan and, and Mexico and some other places, even the US. And so, you know, I view technology as a major, uh, I would say value add to our ability to detect fraud. Uh, fraud is by definition very hard to detect. I'll be the first to say, it is completely unreasonable to expect any grading company to catch 100% of, you know, fraud, you know, fraud, you know, fraudulent cards, be it alterations or inauthentic. I believe we're the best at it, but even us, you know, we, we will, we will certainly, you know, with just a human eye make mistakes from time to time. So uh, technology, and, and I would also say too, it's actually very rare. It's way less than 1% of cards are, um, you know, failed for that reason, you know, evidence of alteration, but, you know, they tend to be pretty high profile. Those are the ones that show up on blowout forums. Those are the ones that, you know, are, are usually more valuable because, you know, the, the scammers focus on the high, they have businesses to run too. Um, and so they focus on higher margin cards. And so it's very, therefore very, even though it's a very small volume, it's very important to 
uh, to go after those. So computerized grading to, to me, it's actually more about computerized uh, fraud detection. Uh, I do think you can do things like uh, centering calculations, you know, 45, 55, top, bottom, you know, 60, 40, left, right, you know, and you can kind of show the grader as they're grading the card, uh, you know, uh, that's, that's the measurement, or you can automatically measure the card as well, based on manufacturer specifications. You can maybe detect surface defects, but I view it as a, uh, helping the grader. I think it's, it's technology assisted grading. It's, I think our, our human grading team, if you will, is extremely, uh, good at their job and we need to support them. And I view technology as a way to help them be better. I think they're great already, but I do think that, you know, mainly around detecting fraud, which is getting more and more sophisticated, you have to stay ahead and technology's, in my opinion, the best way to do it. So. Yeah. I mean, I want to follow up with on that a little bit. Um, my, my thought, and I said, that, I said it this morning on hobby hotline, I thought, you know, I don't see genement or computer grading as uh, as a situation where the computer spits out a grade for a card. And I know you just talked about authenticity, but I do want to just come back to grading slightly you know, I don't, I don't see it where the computer is going to scan the card and, and spit out a grade. I, I and I'm, this is a question. I see it. Is it correct? Is is the way I see it correct in that? What it, what might happen is that the computer will take some measurements and provide new information that maybe the the grader can't see with the with the naked eye or even with with um, a thirty times loop or a forty times loop, something like that. Is it more? And you said it's assisting. Is it really that or is it possible for the computer to grade and assess all the aspects of a card? You know, we, we, you look at the, the main subgrades, centering borges, edges and um, corners, you know, is, is a computer going to be, is Genement going to be able to do that? Or is Genement mostly about the fingerprinting technology? Fingerprinting is just a, a, a subcomponent of gentlemen. I would the biggest thing is detecting alterations and and fraud um, is what gentlemen's really after for us. Um, it certainly could. I mean, gentlemen, the technology we acquired. I mean, the path they were going down was the system spits out grades um, on the various you know effectively subgrades and an internal measure that is, that could then be used to calculate an overall grade. Uh, I am not so sure we're going to actually use that or not, because like I said, the, the, the whole art behind PSA's grading process is the high level of training and sophistication of the grading team and their ability to decipher sevens, eights, nines, and tens. And I do believe showing more information is always better. So if you can, you know, I, I just said I was on eBay as an example. I'm always willing to admit mistakes. You know, there was a 96, you know, tops Kobe on there. There was a 10. It was clearly off center, well past our tolerance for 10. Someone sent it to me on Instagram. I flagged it to the PSA team. We contacted the seller. We said, sorry, we deactivated the cert number We and we bought it back. Uh, like, you know, that had technology been in the grading room at that point in time, everyone makes mistakes, like I said, you know, so that grader may have had a bad day. Who knows? Maybe fat fingered the grade, whatever. You know, that's an example where technology could have caught that and said, look, that's a 70, 30 left, right centering. There's no way that's a 10. Kick it back to the grading team before you slab it and send it back to the customer. So there's a lot of applications for computerized grading that you, you know, without having, without uh, adjudicating a final grade, if you will. Okay. Some people have wondered whether or not a card that is subject to the Genement technology, which I'm going to assume is going to be most cards that go through uh, PSA nowadays, will those cards receive any designation on the, on the label itself? No. Okay. 
All right, next question I have. Um, there, the trimming scandal that happened in 2019, Steve Sloan at the time made a statement that PSA will act against anyone who violates the terms and conditions knowingly by submitting an altered card for authentication and grading in an effort to protect the PSA brand, which makes great sense to me. When you did your due diligence on PSA, were these events reviewed and were you satisfied with the current situation? Yeah, we definitely reviewed it. I mean, look, as a collector, I had a, a concern around trimmed cards. I mean, I certainly read Blowout and all the all the forums, and I even had a few cards that I had purchased on eBay that uh, the person who auctioned them contacted me and said, you know, these are now determined to have been trimmed. We'll buy them back from you, which which I obviously sold them back to them. Um, so it's always on my mind. It was on my mind throughout the deal. Uh, I would say, you know, it was a major part of uh, the conversation just to ensure that we were thinking about it the right way, that they had the right, you know, grasp on it. Uh, it's a big reason why we acquired Genement. Uh, as I said before, I've said a bunch already. That's that's why I believe that's the number one application for the technology is to prevent that in the future. Um, but yeah, we have a pretty rigorous process internally. PSA, like I said, is is very good at, at catching this stuff. They're not perfect. No one's perfect, but I believe we're really good at it. And you know, I can't get into all of it, but like we have a lot of techniques we use to to both uh, identify trim cards, but also identify people who are submitting trim cards. Um, so it's it's a pretty sophisticated team that that goes after this. There's a number of uh, you know people who are not allowed to submit to PSA for that reason, and that's going to continue. So, okay, good good news. I'm hearing a lot of people say that PSA grading is getting tougher. The gem rate is lower than ever before. Is there anything to these claims? Can you shed any light on that perception? Yeah, look, I've gotten so many people, oh, one a day on Instagram or Twitter, blow me up about this. I mean, I'll tell you, I've asked the team a number numerous times. I mean, it, we have not changed our standards. We have not gotten stricter. There's no, There's been no change in policy to say give out fewer tens. That's all BS. Um, to put it plainly, I think what's happening, I, I don't know exactly because it's impossible to know with tweets and, you know, DMs without looking at the actual cards is, well, A, we've received so many cards in the last year compared to years past. There's no chance that there were those cards were all tens and nines because the number of cards that people opened up their collections, they're submitting more cards. We've also had a lot of new submitters. Uh, people who, you know, potentially, you know, aren't as discerning before they send cards to us uh, that, and by the way, I should be clear, including me, everyone who expects, everyone who sends their cards and expect them to be 10. So uh, if there's anything I've learned and I knew that going into this, but holy crap, the people think that. And um, in our case, I would say, you know, it's been a lot of the, oh, I should say also the modern cards. I just opened this, this box of Prism 2020 basketball. I had some cards in there that I don't think are PSA fives or sixes. Like the quality control of the manufacturers in the last year has really gone down, especially with centering uh, and and surface. There's all these little like pen marks and things uh, like defects, dimples. Uh, so pack fresh does not mean 10. Just to, <laughs> like no question. In fact, I would argue in, in, in Prism, like I bet it's less than 10, 20 percent. So there's a lot of things, you know, a lot of factors at play here. I, I should say if someone disagrees with the grade, we are always willing to review. Uh, it's a service on the website. Um, I've gotten reached out to people reached out to me said, Hey, can you help me coordinate a review? We're happy to do it. If you truly disagree, uh, I would say uh, vast majority of the time it comes back how, how it was originally, which is, Oh shit. Yeah, you're right. There was a crease through that card or there was, you know, 
the grading team's really good, and there has been no change in in standard. We haven't gotten stricter. There you have it, everybody. I mean, that's something that I know is on a lot of people's minds. Are there any tips that you guys have that customers could could utilize to better prepare for their submissions? Any any hints on things that are that are causing lower grades right now outside of manufactured defects? Um, well, I'll tell you one thing. I would love to get to a point where you can take a little photo of the card on your phone with your PSA app and we 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 give you like a soft grade using Gentleman or something like that where it says, you know, hey, you probably shouldn't send that in because you know, or, or, you know, if your goal's a eight or above, don't waste your time. That's that sort of thing. Um, that's the future for us. I would love to get there. Um, hopefully we do. Hopefully we will. Um, you know, in the, in the interim, I would say, I actually do encourage new collectors, new people to the hobby to go through group submitters or dealers who have a more discerning eye to cards. Um, you know, I've walked around the PSA halls and looked at subs, like the amount of like garbage wax from the eighties and like, you know, like car, like 89 upper deck Griffies that have a crease through it. Like it's, this stuff's hard. Like, unless you're a, a, you handle cards all day, you know, it's, you, you will be, you know, missing, you will miss things. You're not a grader. I'm not a grader either. I send things in all the time that come back as fives, fours, fives, and sixes. I got a two the other day from a card that I literally thought should have been, it could have been a nine or a 10 because there was a crease right through the middle that I didn't spot. So, you know, you really do need to, I say, educate yourself before you, uh, especially with, you know, where prices are with all the grading companies uh, before you uh, submit. Uh, and I, I think one good resource there in the group submitters and dealers uh, that, you know, are authorized by PSA to submit to us as one idea. Yeah, no, that, that's good advice for sure. I got, I got to just talk to the chat right now, guys. The questions are coming fast and furious. I'm scanning them. You guys have some really great questions, but they're, they're going past me too quick. So I do have one here, Nat, I'm going to bring up that came in just about a, just a couple minutes ago from uh, Kang San Kim says, is there a possibility of receiving explanations of certain grades like authentic and why we got those grades? Feel like a little education can help in the long term. Yeah, we had, so this has actually been on my wish list for a long time as you know, before we even uh, took the company private. You know, it's it's a lot to ask, just to be honest, of a company historically that charged eight to ten dollars to grade a card. Practically, it's it's impossible when you're we're slabbing, we're grading, we're doing all these things to also, you know, provide a report on the card. It's just not not possible. Going forward, you know, with higher prices, with more ability to invest, with technology, with things can be more automated, it's more possible. Uh, we're not going to put subgrades on labels. If you're going to ask, that's way too, in my opinion, uh, it overcomplicates the uh, the the label, the aesthetics, the, the grading, you know, the, the, um, external view of the card, but, you know, I could totally imagine, you know, a world where we kind of like, if you look at diamonds, it's, it's a, I don't collect diamonds, but you know, there is a grading company for diamonds, uh, GIA that you can type in a certain number and it shows you metadata only if you look it up. And, you know, I could imagine, you know, once we automate a lot of this stuff like centering that you could pull up the cert and it says, yes, you know, the, the centering is this and this and this. Um, but again, we have to automate that. There's just no, there's no practical way we could do that with the millions of cards that we've received in the last year, uh, you know, in any sort of scalable, accurate way. So, so just to be clear, you guys will not be adding subgrades to the labels. That's, that's nope. a certainty. No way. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm going to go to another question here from Terry Fortune. He says, can an older PSA graded card be submitted for a newer label or when it, when it is, does it get, does it automatically get that same grade or is it re-examined? 
Yeah, this was a controversial thing that came up. There's been no new policy to regrade cards that are submitted for reholdering. It's a that was a very rare situation where that card that it was a Tim Duncan card that was submitted uh, clearly had been um, improperly kept. Like it looked like it had been soaked in in a tub bathtub of water for like a year, and that happens. Like you know, you can damage you know fire. All sorts of things can damage plastic. I don't care if it's us, BGS, anybody. So uh, I would say. You know, 999 of a thousand times, if you submit a card for reholdering, unless it looks like the card had been damaged, uh, you know, throughout its time, uh, it's going to be reholdered in the exact same grade. So there's no, no one should worry when they reholder. Yes. So yes, you can submit an old card to get in a new label and you should feel confident in doing that. So let's, uh, let's kind of piggybacking on the subgrade question collection sml says any plan on doing a black label grade for psa this was going to come up a little bit later but the chat's on fire so yeah you know and any are there can we expect any change to the grading scale at all a 9.5 a special 10 similar to some of the competitors no nope hard no there guys hard no okay <laughs> <laughs> okay um Yeah, I mean, we're, I'm looking at my notes. I'm looking at the chat. We're, we're, we're hitting on a lot of things here, guys. Um, so I'm going to go into uh, what what is the process when a card is submitted that is suspected to be altered? Do the graders have access to consider the card's provenance, uh, who the submitter was, and perhaps any old images of that card? Yeah, this goes back to what I said before, you know, at the prior and even current grading rates, it's impossible to expect PSA or any grading company to have, you know, the time to do like hours of research and scan forums and look for old photos of cards and archives. And, you know, we so I actually love that there's these armchair detectives out there that do that. Uh, it it makes us better. I mean, I I've told that I, mean, I post every card of mine on Flickr. I mean, I encourage people to go through there and identify cards that, you know, potentially are, are trimmed or altered and that are in holders. Um, so it's, it's really hard to imagine we could, you know, go through the entire internet, you know, to look, to, to search card. I will say though, on with, with, you know, technology moving forward, if cards have been resubmitted and we can detect changes to those cards, you know, have, have, if we've seen that exact card more than once, you know, that becomes information we can use from a provenance perspective for sure. Uh, I will say for very, very high-end cards, you know, we know every T Honus T206 Honus Wagner, I, I could assure you. I mean, we, you know, so, and I think we'll get there with things like PMG Green Jordans, uh, 9798 Game Jersey. Like we know the patches now, we know the serial numbers. We're going to, we already know all, most one of ones that have been submitted to us. You can't submit enough two one of ones of the same player. Like, you know, so there's things like that, that we're starting to build a wealth of knowledge around. Technology is going to be even more helpful. Um, but for your bread and butter, you know, John Morant, you know, prison rookie. No, we're not going to be going through the archives of eBay, you know, saying, Hey, is this car? I mean, it's just impossible at, at great at the grading rates on those levels. So. Okay. Let, let's uh, I, I'm going to change. I, I have to change my strategy on the fly here, everybody, because uh, we're, we're covering things from all, all angles. So I want to talk about the pricing structure, Nat, if we may, um, you know, a lot of people think that it should cost the same amount to grade a card that is worth $100 that is it is to grade a card that is worth $100,000. Can you can you speak to the, the the pricing model? Are there any changes coming to it? And can you explain why it is the way it is? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing we have is 
uh, well, first of all, it's more expensive from an insurance perspective and handling perspective to grade a higher end card than it is a low end card. You know, when we're handling damage does happen. We've actually, you know, with millions of cards, it does happen. And we're liable, you know, if we do that. And it's obviously our on our watch. It happens in shipping, too, which is not our fault. That's the, the carriers. But if a grader drops a card or, you know, whatever, you know, that's on us. And so we only have one chance. Oh, I will say too, we have a buyback policy. So if a card, if we, if we slab a card and 10 years later, it turns out we shouldn't have, um, or it was trimmed, whatever, you know, and we can, and we re-review it, we re-examine it. And sure enough, you know, we can tell that, yeah, we missed it. Um, sometimes we can't tell by the way, even if the, the, you know, forums identified like, it, you know, true is, True as day. I mean, it just we can't tell, and and those are those are hard exceptions. Again, fraud by definition is hard to detect, but we do buy back cards all the time. Unfortunately, were things that we didn't catch uh, that we've re-reviewed, and we say, yep, you know that thing was recolored. Uh, we recently bought back a Bird Magic rookie that was clearly recolored that got through the grading team. So the point is, is we have one chance to collect what I would call a premium on insurance for that buyback and for any potential damage that we have to compensate the owner of the card for. And that does need to be tied to the value of the card as, as one would expect. And so um, that's what I would say. And also, you know, we want hiring cards to be expedited because, you know, it's, we don't want them in our, in our building for very long, you know, a million dollar card. We don't want in our building for, for any more, any long that or any more minutes than it has to be. So we do charge more because we uh, expedite, you know, hiring cards for sure. Um, so for those reasons, it, we do tie it to value pretty closely. Uh, it needs to be. Uh, I, I will admit as a collector predating PSA, I just, I, I was on the forums being like, why the hell did I get upcharged for this card? But like, look, I get it. If, if they made a mistake in the future, they have to, they're standing behind that gray and that label. So, um, it makes sense now. So, yeah. Yeah, no, fair enough. It, it makes sense to me too. But, you know, I, I guess some people look at what the competition, some of the com competitors do in the space and they may not, uh, but is that because their guarantee is different? What do you mean? Is PSA's guarantee different? No, the some of the competitors who may charge oh. the same for different card level card values. I I don't even know what their guarantees are. Fair enough. Okay, uh, Marcus McDee says just received a thirteen card order. Happy with the group process and the and to get five tens, four nines, the rest eights grading is getting tougher, but it should be integrity. I think is a good a very good comment. Uh, Michael Ham, uh, have you looked into making graded cards more secure with technology? I've never graded a card and concerned sending a card in that may be a 10 in the past would now be a nine. What makes a card a 10? Is that something you can speak to now? I don't actually understand the question. I've never graded a card and concerned. I actually don't even understand that. I mean, look, I'm not a grader. A 10 is, you know, there is a tolerance. It doesn't have to be 50-50 centering, I, I would say. Uh, it's pretty damn close, but you know, you can see 86 Fleur Jordans, they can be slightly off, but I'm not a grader. I, I, don't, I don't really know how to answer that. Fair enough. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll keep on moving. I want to talk about the backlog for a minute, Matt. When, uh, how long was the backlog, how, sorry, how big was the backlog when PSA suspended the lower service levels? Large, uh, many millions of cards. Um, the reason we suspended though, it was partially how big the backlog was, but it's actually more, to do with how many packages we received in a very short period of time in early March, where we couldn't um, tell people that we received their package. Uh, we call that receiving. So we couldn't literally receive the card. Like we, we had the box somewhere, but we literally couldn't open it, unbox it, 
I, you know, go through the cards one by one and look at the order form and say, yes, you know, your 200 cards got here. So the receiving process was backlogged um, by several million cards in March. Uh, we received in a single day like 600,000 cards, and we're grading far fewer than that on a daily basis. So it's not okay. It's in my opinion, it's okay to take many months to grade a card. We know the card if, if, except, you know, if that's the, you know, if we have the problem that we do, which is backlog, that we can tell you your card is safe. Um, sorry, it's going to take a while. It is not okay to say, thank you for submitting cards to be safe. We have no idea where your package is. Um, and we don't know if the cards that you sent us are actually in the box. Um, so we just had to get ahead of receiving and, and suspend. And as I tweeted about the other day, we we're fully caught up on order entry and receiving. So every package that has been sent to us, we've gone through and itemized, um, which is a big deal by the way. Um, so that doesn't mean we're caught up on the backlog. That means we're caught up on receiving, but yeah, it was many millions of cards when we suspended. But again, the more important metric was that we had thousands of boxes that had, had been sent to us that were sitting in our warehouse unopened. Did you say that you were receiving you, there was a day you received 600,000 cards in one day. Yeah. Single day. And how many cards can PSA grade in one day? It's in the tens of that low tens of thousands uh, per day. And where, what's the backlog? Like, like what percent, what, what percent of the backlog have you guys chipped away at since uh, you had to close down the services? Not as much as we'd like. I mean, you know, a million cards or less. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to take us a while. We're still going to be able to reopen, you know, to some extent this year, no doubt in the next couple months, but it's, you know, it's a pretty big situation. And that's why I say, I mean, you have to, have, I, I have a lot of sympathy for the PSA team because we are not changing our standards at all yet. We're getting yelled at by all these customers all the time about, you know, this is your fault. We just received a ton of cards. Uh, we could ship them back to customers. We could, we've, we've asked people, you know, you're more than welcome to get your cards back if you'd like, but, you know, everyone has told us, look, we're hanging with you dealers, especially, you know, we get it. Uh, you know, it's, it's a big effort. We are expanding as fast as we possibly can with graders, with unboxers, with the technology, with new offices, which I can talk. I mean, there's a lot of stuff we're doing to expand. It's not going to happen overnight, but you know, we wake up this time next year. I mean, we're going to be a much different company as far as volume. Um, and the backlog is what it is today. But again, we are chipping away right now for sure. Every day it's decreasing. Are you currently hiring graders? Oh God, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how, how challenging has it been to find these employees? Um, it's actually very hard. Uh, most of our graders come from internal. So they're folks who are opening boxes and receiving, you know, folks that work their way up to grading. Grading is a very skilled job at, you know, it's something that it's like flying a plane. You know, you have to fly with an instructor first. We have a very talented head grader and head grading team that personally spends time with every new grader. Um, you know, it's, it's a big deal, uh, to become a grader. Uh, and so a lot of it happens internally. We have you know, an ability to, you know, a very good internal mobility program to allow that. Um, but yeah, we do hire externally as well. That does happen. You know, folks who are familiar with cards and, you know, have an eye for grading and that sort of thing. Um, you know, they can test into it and, and be good. And then, you know, training wheels and that sort of thing. But, you know, the bigger thing is the training. It, you know, it can take three to six months before we let someone run on their own with grading. So. Uh, yeah, that, that was my next question is how, how long does it take? And when you say run on their own, like it does every card pass as far as grading goes. I understand you've got receiving, you've got grading, you've got yeah, 
slabbing, there's research, there's authentication, all these different things that go into it. As far as the grading goes, does every card only go through one grader or does it go through multiple? Multiple. And does that depend on the value of the card? Yeah, well, every card gets gets uh, reviewed more than once, uh, even a ten dollar, you know, base card. Uh, high end cards, sure. Yeah, I mean, for a fifty two number three eleven <laughs> tops Mickey Mantle, if it's you know a good looking card, we're absolutely going to look at that numerous times to make sure we're. And there's a QA process too. So you know, if if the initial grade comes in and you slab it, you know, we actually have a QA process at the end where another grader looks at it after, before it's being sent after, and they say, hey, is that actually a nine or a 10? And it's it's not super common, but every now and then it gets kicked back, you know, either up or down. Like, hey, this should be a 10, it's a two, or, you know, there's fat fingers, you know, you can type in eight instead of seven. I mean, things happen uh, at our scale for sure. So multiple people at all times, yeah. which is part of the reason why our, you know, our staff doesn't grade as many cards as say some of our competitors might. I want to. I have a question. When you first acquired Collectors Universe PSA, and you you first kind of went inside there, what were some of the processes and policies that really impressed you? Oh, a lot. Uh, I I have a very. I mean, I have a newfound respect for grading. I'll tell you that. I mean, it is a sophisticated process. Uh, you know, and also it takes a lot of of effort. I mean, you're sitting in a room you know, looking at cards all day with a black light and a magnifying glass. I mean, it, it, it takes a, a lot of focus and, and um, I would say, you know, uh, kind of even keelness to, you know, and, and people try and get things past you all the time, right? There, <laughs> everybody in the hobby is trying to trick you. That's kind of the mentality of a grader. Um, not all the time, but a lot of times you got to be on your, you got to be on your toes at all times. And, um, you know, so I'd say just the general training the graders go through and the stress they're under on a daily basis to perform uh, and the process that the grading team has put in place to ensure accuracy, like I said before, with, you know, multiple reviews and QA processes and that sort of thing. It's it's a big deal. Um, yeah. And also, frankly, the slabbing process was really cool to see. I didn't really understand how that worked. Um, it's, you know, high level machinery uh, that goes into slabbing these cards. They do it with expert precision you know, you can freaking destroy a card if you're, if you don't, you know, if you're not a good sealer and, and these people are really skilled and, um, you know, watching that in action was very cool. Um, yeah, those are a couple, couple examples. Oh, I would say, by the way, the people who, who, um, unbox cards and research them, like at the very front end, like you want to talk about heroes, like these people are literally opening boxes and then sorting through and you cannot imagine the, what people send to us, you know, like they're sending us screw downs, top loaders, card savers, cards that are just floating in a box, like, you know, completely not in order, like the two box, one order, but in two boxes, like, you know, the, you know, it's, it's just, it's fascinating to see the, the, um, like almost every other order, there's something wrong. And, you know, the unboxers and receivers are, are sorting that mess out uh, and they make it look really easy. Uh, you know, you get your email, you're like, Jeremy, your, your cards have been received, <laughs> you know, but literally 50% of the time that, you know, something was up with that order and they figured it out. So it's pretty cool. That's cool. And yeah. so when you first went into PSA, what were, or were there one or two things that you immediately saw that you wanted to change? Yeah, I would say, I mean, technology for sure. I mean, PSA grew up really fast. I mean, it's an old, it's an older company as far as, you know, I'm concerned. It's a 30 year old company. PSA is 20, 20 plus years old, 25 years old. You know, they, a lot of their growth has occurred in the last 18 months. And so it caught them, 
I think everybody by surprise. I mean, I, I didn't see this coming as a, as a collector, you know, the, the demand and number of new hobbyists. And so, you know, the adoption of technology, I would say was, was lagging, which is a big reason why we took the company private and partnered with them. Um, but that's, that's completely to be expected of any company that went through that. So are there any plans to kind of pull back the curtain and let the public see what the grading process actually looks like, what the offices look like, um, maybe meet the grader, that kind of thing? Yeah, I actually love to do that at some point. Um, not right now. We're just too busy. I don't want to distract the team. Um, but, you know, especially once we get Gentleman stuff rolling and, you know, some some cool things implemented that we're working on, I'd love to show people that for sure. As far as great, you know, Again, back back to um, the suspension of the services. I've heard some people say that PSA doesn't want to grade low value cards. Can you just expand on that a little bit? Do, do you guys want to grade low value cards eventually again? Yeah, hundred percent. That's total BS. I mean, anyone who says that to me just like is making things up. So the reason we can't support it is that people send us millions of them, and it clogs the system. And there's no ability to stop it. I mean, in COVID times, when everyone went home and found all their base cards, they just decided to start sending them in. We would love to get back to grading those, but we cannot handle millions of them. We don't have a million graders. So uh, our plan is to get back there, but we have to get through our backlog and we have to get the team expanded where we're doing work, you know, two to three times the number of cards per day as we are today. Uh, Someone asked the question earlier, PSA is rooted in collectors. The definition of a collector is you're collecting sets and chasing completion. That's the whole point of collecting. So it defeats the purpose if you can't complete your sets. So by grading, you know, Cuisenberry, you know, Dan Cuisenberry cards from the 80s. Like you have to be able to do that, no doubt. Uh, we just cannot support low-end cards this minute because of, you know, where we stand with supply and demand. But we'll get there. We will definitely get there. That's that's encouraging for sure. What is your position on fake slabs? Because we've seen we've seen uh, PSA have their slab um, faked as well as competitors. Uh, in terms of your PSA's responsibility to address them, and and then are there any new security features coming for the slab? Yeah, uh, there's there's a lot of stuff. We actually have a page on our website psacar.com. You can find it. I can send it to you after with uh, kind of a detail and like a buyer's guide of what to look for for a PSA label what make, you know, ways to spot fakes versus not. It's pretty alarming to see the, I mean, look, it's inevitable with the value of cards, especially in PSA hit holders. You know, some of these cards are obtaining uh, that there will be people who try and fake them. We take it seriously. We go after everyone that we spot. I love it when people send me, hey, are you aware of this one, that one? I send it directly to our legal team uh, and our fraud team to, I mean, we can't, we can only do so much, right? Like we're not, the FBI, but you know, we can certainly send nasty letters and, and alert authorities about it and, and try and uh, get them off the market. We certainly can, but what we are doing on our own is we have a lot of features in the holders, some that people don't even know about that um, can detect, you know, real from fake holders and more to come on that for sure. Security of the holders, uh, very important. When you say there's some features that people don't even know about, are those features that the public can know about or are they kind of close to the vest so that you guys can protect the integrity of the slab itself? For now, it's the latter. For now, we're keeping that close. Just, you know, if someone sends us a card or we see something out, you know, out in the market, we can tell ourselves, but we, we will open that up over time. 
as we gain confidence that it's not um, replicable, that someone could copy it. A question came through, somebody asked, and I lost it in the comments, but they said, and I don't know that you'll have the answer to this, but I'll put it out there anyway. Why can the same card be submitted numerous times and get different grades each time? Well, I don't know, you know how often that happens as far as different grades. I mean, look, it in theory can happen if you get different graders and it's the same card and maybe you clean it you know, take fingerprints off. Again, it's just so hard to comment on that without seeing a specific card. Um, as I said before, with, with technology, my goal, one of our goals is to fingerprint the cards. Unfortunately, I mean, I'm, I'm unfortunately know a little bit too much about this stuff. You know, people buy PSA 8s on eBay that look nice for the purpose of cracking them and altering them to send back in. That is, a, that is uh, in my opinion, uh, fraud. And so it depends on the level of recall. I mean, if you're removing fingerprints, fine. But if you're you know, touching, you know, trimming and touching up corners and recoloring like that is, that is, uh, you're, you're going to get banned. And so that, that is the kind of stuff we're trying to catch as far as just random resubmissions and different grades. Again, I'd have to know about a specific card to comment on it. Yeah. Fair enough. Scott Fiska says, can you ask what the lowest tier will cost when you guys reopen and will bulk ever be a thing again? I can't comment yet. Um, that's up to the team at this point. I literally told them to make the decision without me. Uh, there's no pressure for me, whatever that's the right decision they can make, the PSA team that is. Will bulk ever be a thing again? Yeah, of course. I mean, will we call that value? Of course we want to get back to value. And Mr. Wonderful, how is PSA looking to make the grading process easier and faster for its loyal customers? Is PSA looking to expand operations in some major markets? Yes. Yeah. So we are looking at new locations now. Um, there will be some announcements there this year, hopefully. Um, it's a really important effort for us is, is physical expansion uh, to not just in the U.S., but ex-U.S. We won't have any ex-U.S. this year, I doubt, but I wish. But uh, you know, certainly in the near future. Uh, as far as making the grading process easier and faster, again, it comes back to tech. I mean, the grading process today is, is I would say, well, the submission process is fine. You know, it's not you know, it's not Amazon or, you know, it's, it, it could be better. Um, you know, for example, I think, you know, you, like I said before, you should be able to take photos of the card and just, you know, build your submission for you. Um, you know, it potentially should soft grade cards. So you know what to submit. Um, I think pricing could be easier to understand, you know, exp expediency versus value versus, um, you know, the tiers. Um, there's a bunch of stuff we're looking into. Okay. And here's a question, Logan Ward. What plans does PSA have to control the amount of submissions once all submissions are opened back up so there is not a flood and repeat of the, the great submission tsunami of 2021? Yeah. I mean, look, we're, we're very worried about that. We're not going to let it happen. We have a bunch of ideas as, as to how to avoid it. I can't really share what yet just because I don't know what we're going to go with. We're not yeah, going to say we're terrified, so, we're terrified of that. <laughs> so. He goes on to say submission limits per submitter. In my opinion, price increases are not going to stop the flippers from submitting, but do hurt the real collectors. Uh, any, any comments on that or. I mean, look, I totally get it as a collector myself. I have all around me, low end cards that I'm not submitting right now because of the, the price. I totally get it. But all I could say is put yourself in our shoes. When you're dealing with millions of cards in a backlog, you have to control the lever somehow, the, the faucet of cards. And, you know, until we get capacity up, we might have to, you know, resort to things that temporarily aren't what we want, but, you know, gets us out of the hole. So sorry, but, you know, got to do what we got to do. Yeah. Yeah. 
Mint Heat says, do graders specialize in eras or specific sets, or is every grader able to handle cards from any era? Yeah, we do have specialization. There's a number of graders that specialize, for example, in 90s basketball cards uh, because there's, you know, certain backdoored and, you know, we have, we actually have even uh, outside consultants come in, by the way, not many people know about that, the, to um, consult on high-end cards that maybe they're the experts in um, that are on contract basis with us to help the grading team when necessary um, across all sorts of cards, including um vintage um so most of it's in-house but i would say a lot most of our graders are well versed in all in most cards but in certain categories like um you know tobacco card pre-war vintage 90s is some era eras um we certainly have specialization all right and then um dan welcome i'm interested in becoming a card grader what's a possible salary uh strong you should contact me and i'll tell you more (laughs) (laughs) the national is coming up nat are you going to be there oh hell yeah it's my super bowl (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) same here man same here i can't wait can you speak to uh what psa's plans are for the show yeah we'll be there we'll be grading cards it's it's gonna unfortunately be a a similar service level oh i maybe we we haven't fully locked it down but it's it's going to be a higher end service level there uh, kind of like we have now, just because of the of what we'd expect as far as demand. We will, though, have a full operation there. Um, it was a tough call because, you know, taking people away from our office to grade cards at the National with travel and everything decreases the, our productivity for that week. Um, but, you know, the National, like I said, is, our, is my Super Bowl, is our Super Bowl. So I think it's important that we're there. Um, we're going to be there and we'll be grading cards. Will you be taking... Sorry, oh, I don't know if you people might are asking, said it. People are asking salary. I don't know the exact salary, guys. Come on. <laughs> Contact me and, you know, and I'll connect yeah. you with the right people. I'll find out <laughs> for you. Yeah. So you guys will not be taking submissions back to California to grade? I actually don't know the answer to that. Okay. Okay. Brian, Brian Gersh, Gershkovich says, uh, will prices ever drop back to their original price points? Um, I would love that. Um, again, today it's, it's to help us with demand and, and the inflow of cards. Um, it's just not, you know, something we can entertain right now, but I would, as again, I have tons of cards myself that I would love to submit that I won't submit at the current price level. So I'm right there with you. I would love to get back to it. So here's a, here's a sort of a comment, uh, or an assignment. Will, will PSA wipe off a fingerprint from a card before slabbing and grading it? I actually don't know the answer to that. I think we do if the grader, you know, accidentally uh, puts a fingerprint on it. I'm not sure. I doubt we're cleaning the cards if they show up with the fingerprint, but I don't know for sure. I'm not a grader. And then I'm going to bring this one up. I think we've we've, we've spoken to it, but I want to, I'm going to give you another shot at it, Nat, because he says the elephant in the room question, but really, I mean, it's, you've talked about scaling so much, but is there anything you can add to this? What will PSA be doing in the future to, to grade and get the cards back to customers faster? Yeah. I mean, we're not going to compromise on quality, first of all. So we're not going to be increasing, you know, hey, grading team, you know, you have to two X your capacity with the same number of people. So it's going to be a combination of growing the grading team through uh, headcount, no doubt. Two is new offices where we can hire. Not every grader in the country, you know, happens to live in Santa Ana, California, where we grade cards today. Um, but you know, we're, we're certainly going to uh, grow that team and then, uh, technology. So, you know, with implementing tech, we do think the team can be more efficient. 
Uh, I think a big part of that actually is allowing um, identifying cards that the grading team doesn't have to waste time on. So if a card is trimmed, why, you know, force a grader to look at it, you know, just fail it. Um, and so I don't think that'll cut down a significant portion of cards, but if you add up the, the, all the different, you know, edge cases of, of, um, you know, I would say failure rates or, or failure, uh, types, error, error reports, we can make a dent there too. Um, but it's going to be a combination of all that stuff. Okay, great. Mosaic mind. Uh, why doesn't PSA open up their own online marketplace, offer their customers the ability to sell their cards? Yeah, I mean, look, it's something it's something to consider. Uh, you know, PSA is never going to be in the business of owning cards ourselves or, you know, being, you know, having inventory or that sort of thing, obviously. Um, but, you know, we certainly, you know, agree that a trusted marketplace, you see this with sneakers, uh, you know, with other collectibles, you know, people want authenticity. The fake slabs is a great example. You know, we can tell a real PSA slab better than anyone. Um, so, you know, that is something that's, that's, you know, we've talked about, uh, we always go back to what collectors want. It's all about them. Uh, it's actually, to be honest, a very commonly asked question is why can't, you know, if, a, if you, you know, are grading the card, you know, why can't you just help me, you know, one-stop shop, you know, uh, you know, grade it and then help us help me sell it again. Don't buy it from me, but if you can help me sell it, you know, that's something people do want from us. Uh, I don't know what we're actually going to do there, um, you know, as a holistic strategy, but we definitely have some ideas. I want I want to talk a bit about authenticity again, as far as cards go, because we've seen a lot of new entrants into the grading space lately, and I feel like experience is so important for graders and for the, for the for the grading companies to to be able to 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 offer the fact that the people looking at these cards know what they're looking at. And to me, that's one of the biggest challenges that some of these new entrants have is that do they have that, that skill and that experience and the ability to detect an, uh, an inauth inauthentic card? Because to me, grading, submitting a card to a grading company, you're submitting a card to a grading and authentication company. I've been, I was at PSA's head office in California in 2009. I got a tour and I remember seeing bookcases filled with reference materials in the research room. And I was very impressed by that. Do you feel that PSA has a competitive advantage based on their ability to authenticate cards from all sports eras and genres? I do. Yeah. I mean, look, if you have a vintage card, in my opinion, you're, you're, you're probably making a silly decision to not send it to us because of our breadth of experience um, and expertise. I mean, you know, I've, I've, I've had friends actually here, I'll show you one. Um, a buddy of mine brought these three uh, Gretzky OPC cards by, oop, they're upside down. Um, you know, one of which is autographed. Um, and so, you know, anyway, point of the story is, is, you know, he wanted, PSA to look at these cards and, you know, um, so he's, he's completed a submission form and I'm going to drop them off for him next time I'm there. You know, I personally think we have the most knowledge of what makes an authentic, you know, and also, cause for example, they were cut differently than tops, for example, you know, like there's all these different little tricks that you can look at and these are high value cards. I mean, these are in great condition, but, um, you know, you, we really do have a wealth of knowledge, especially on vintage for modern stuff. You know, it, I think it comes down to like ultra modern, you know, fresh off the line Panini stuff. I mean, it's, 
it's, you know, most of those cards are pretty similar. You know, they're not old. They're there's, you know, people haven't had time to reproduce them. You know, it's, it's much, it much more comes down to what labels people refer and what grading company consistency they like and which one do they think will, you know, be, be the most accurate with grading. Um, we get our, we get, uh, you know, more than our fair share, I would say of those as well. But when it comes to the really important, valuable, older stuff, that's where PSA historically has really shined given, given, given our, um, you know, expertise in that's in that sort of genre. So I want to, here's the question, just, you know, personally, you know, I have lots of PSA cards in my collection. I've got car, I've got cards of most of the grading companies. What's your opinion on the beat on the PSA slab? What do you mean? How do you like it? Do you like the label? Do you like the look and feel? Do you like the, the weighting? You- oh, um, I like that. It's uh, relatively thin, you know, it's not super bulky. Um, I don't know. To me, the label itself, the actual red, you know, the all caps, the simplicity, um, it just looks the most, it looks very professional. It looks like uh, investment investment grade asset, you know, in a, in a PSA holder stackability of them. I personally find, you know, the protection of the card is actually very strong. I mean, I've had cards for decades as I think you have and, and others and, you know, I've certainly seen fewer issues over time with PSA holders than others, uh, as far as preserving the card inside the holder. Yeah, uh, I don't know why that is, but you know, I, I just something I've noticed over time. So, here's a question: Scott Fiscus, are graders very familiar with population reports, and are they taken into account when grading? I think this is a, a lot of people are speculating that there's population control going on by grading companies. Can you speak to that? Uh, I don't think they're aware of it at all. I, I no Pop, population reports are relevant when it comes down to grading a card. Okay. Yeah. May, I mean, I think you want to be as unbiased as possible uh, when you are grading a card. So that make that makes good sense to me. Um, here's a, here's a question. Just uh, is there any sort of breaking news, anything that you can announce tonight or anything coming out that um, any news coming from PSA in the, in, in the near future? We definitely have some cool stuff coming in the next uh, few weeks, uh, maybe maybe the next two months. Um, you know, on the outer outer side, you know, some really cool um, announcements. You know, new services, you know, type thing. I can't tell you exactly what yet, but and then also, I, by the way, like things I'm actually most excited about is like, you know, updates to the to the, you know, actual case and holder and you know. Uh, things that, um, as a collector, I've always wanted. That's that's not stuff we'll we'll have rolled out, you know, in the next couple of weeks. But um, you know, I, I mentioned one before with the inner card sleeves is something I've been pushing. I don't, I don't know if we're actually going to get there anytime soon, but uh, just given our scale, you know, we have, like turns out you have to compete with uh, uh, mask manufacturers for plastic, as an example. Right. Um, so there's a lot, and we we need a lot of plastic, <laughs> um, and and we're definitely lower priority than masks. So. Anyway, there's a bunch of stuff we're looking at as far as the actual physical case um, that I personally think are exciting. But also technology-wise, you know, we've got a lot of features coming on set registry. And I mean, again, it's not going to be tomorrow. It's not going to be next month. But over the next year with our tech team, and we are hiring engineers left and right over the next year with with our um, our uh, tech team. So um, that will bear fruit. You know, engineering takes time, though, to see it. But when it happens, you know it. And it's, it's going to be really, really cool, I hope. Right on, right on. Yamax makes a nice comment. It's having PSA grading at the Nationals great for the hobby, seeing huge lines for premium service levels 
creates buzz and signals the underlying strength of this market, which I think is an important, uh, an important factor right now when there's a lot of uh, narrative going on <laughs> amongst a lot of the, uh, the content uh, that we all consume on YouTube and Instagram and, and other places. Uh, PSA Slab Guy wants to know, will you be offering reholdering services at the National? Are you privy to this information? I don't think we are, but I can confirm. Okay, perfect, perfect. Um, let's talk long-term now for, for a sec, Natalie. I mean, you've alluded to some things that are in the works. There are, there, there are plans that you guys are working on, but can, what is your vision? I mean, you're, you're a relatively young guy. Um, you're in this for the long run. I, I, are you in this for the long run? Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So can you share your vision for PSA? And, and I'm going to focus, this is sports cards live, so we won't get into the coins and all that, but your vision for PSA for the next, say, 10, 20 plus years. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of what will make PSA great is not doing anything, is doing most things the same. <laughs> I don't want to like, come off as not answering the question, but we just have to be, one of the reasons PSA is, as is, you know, I think the most trusted standard is it's kind of steadfast, you know, unwavering commitment to not growing super fast in historically just being good at its job and undistracted. Um, so a lot of what I'm trying to do is to maintain that and, you know, uh, make sure that they have all the investment they need, but really kind of let the grading team and, and the company do its own, you know, do its own thing, kind of how it has, you know, historically, again, kind of slowly integrating technology and some other things to help them but not, you know, completely changing things. So that's number one. But from a vision perspective, uh, I would love this to be kind of an end-to-end -end platform for collectors. Uh, again, I think it should be where you manage your collection. I think it should be where you grade your collection. I think it could potentially be where you find cards for your collection that you know are authentic and, and trusted and everything's above board. I mean, the number of times I've been scammed on various sites and off Instagram, et cetera, drives me nuts. Uh, I got a, people saw it the other day. I got a card shipped to me off eBay that was literally bent four different ways. It was, you know, pretty valuable. <laughs> like that's, that stuff shouldn't happen. Yeah. You know, centralized logistics, um, you know, that sort of thing is, is actually what you've seen from StockX and other companies and other categories is actually really powerful. Uh, Amazon has done it uh, for consumer goods. I think it's coming for cards. Uh, it's just, it's insane to, to ship cards in the mail as valuable as they've become. Uh, so I don't want to speak to the exact specifics, but our plan at PSA is to, you know, reduce friction for hobbyists, for collectors so that, you know, things happen much faster, uh, but also, uh, kind of an end to end platform so that they can manage their entire collection, um, you know, and have that confidence that everything's authentic and trusted. Yeah, Gareth Miller, he says, I agree to stick with what you're doing as you scale up, which I think makes good sense. Uh, MMA puts out a nice comment. Thank you, Nat. Thank you for being generous with your time, being a guest on Sports Cards Live. The community really appreciates it. Uh, nice comment, MMA. Thank you for throwing that out there. Uh, Mr. Wonderful says, will PSA be at the Toronto Expo, which is scheduled for a four-day in-person event in November? I actually don't know. It's a good question. So it'd be on our website. We have a show schedule on psacard.com. Well, if out. I can encourage you to, uh, to to try and get PSA up there uh, again, it would be great. I, I, PSA had been there in the past, and uh, I know I know that uh, Canada would would definitely appreciate that. Here, Tiger Jordan asks, "What does PSA do with all the card savers and et cetera, all the plastic that it receives as part of customer submissions?" Um, I actually don't know. Um, 
I'm sure they're piling up somewhere or thrown away. We're definitely not using them. We're selling them. You know, that it's our hobby has a lot of packaging, as you you would well know. You know, is that a is that a concern for you guys at PSA in terms of just the amount of plastic in the environment? And 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 if so, is it something that's on the radar? Yeah, we I mean sustainability is definitely a concern. Um, that's not something I've you know dug into personally, as you can tell, but it's definitely come up in conversations with the exec team for sure. Yep. Yeah. We have a pretty small footprint, I would say, compared to most companies. I mean, we're in one office, but uh, as we grow, I think it'll be much bigger focus. So we talked about the next 10 to 20 years. You've mentioned a few things. Let's just bring scale it back a little bit. Next six to 18 months, what what can we as the as a as the hobby look forward to? From PSA? From, yeah, from PSA. Um again, I think we're gonna we're gonna be scaling up. We're gonna be grading more cards uh per day. Um it's gonna be it's gonna be you know, slow and steady wins the race. It's going to be slowly ticking up. There's not going to be some giant step change, but we will be growing major investment in tech. I think you're going to see some stuff hopefully in the next, you know, six months or so on the tech side. I've kind of alluded to like set registry, mobile app experience, computerized grading, uh, authentication, that kind of thing. I mean, we will see some of that stuff implemented. Um, yeah, again, but six, I just said, it was like six months is not a lot of time. Uh, you know, the, the, most of the things that I'm focused on are more longer term that are in the next year or two. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to, I will be very upset with myself if we haven't, you know, implemented a lot of uh, really cool technology investments in that amount of time. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Uh, another question uh, just came in from card porn. They ask, does PSA grade certain cards differently? For example, softer on edges for 79 Opeachy being the Gretzky rookie and harsher on PMG edges. Is this something you can speak to? I can't. Again, I'm not a grader, but I love all these grading questions. I should. I'm going to go to the grading school next, so I can be, you know, be here for the here for your grading questions next time. <laughs> and and I'll, I'll follow up with you. Maybe we get a, a grader or someone from the grading department uh, on Sports Cards Live in the next few months. <laughs> yeah. Maybe so. Tampa Home Investor says, "Is PSA on schedule to reopen?" the lower service levels in July. I don't know the exact specifics, but we do intend to open, uh, reopen in July. I, again, I don't know exactly what levels and at what price and all that stuff, but we will expand our um, service offerings in July. Awesome. Okay. Uh, here's a question for you. You know, are, are there, are there one or two things that you'd like everybody in the hobby to be aware of or to think about differently? What would those things be? Um, yeah, I mean, look, I think number one, not every card's a 10. Um, actually, one thing really esoteric, I'll, I'll, uh, I would actually, because I learned it recently from the grading team that I never knew, which is that for crossovers. So people send in BGS cards to us, SGC cards. I'm sure people send PSA cards to those companies too. Um, the, when you send in a BGS 9.5, just to use that as an example, a big reason why those don't cross is not because it's not a 10. It's because the grading team doesn't have confidence. It's really hard to grade a card through that slab. And if we crack the card out of the BGS 9.5 and it turns out we didn't see something on that card, uh, but now that it's out of the case and in our hands, shit, it's not a 10. We actually are liable for removing that card from your beautiful nine prior 9.5 case uh, or SGC, whatever. So, um, the grading team's not willing to take that risk. And so 
it's very possible. In fact, I know it's possible that a lot of those nine fives and SGC, whatever don't cross, not because they're not tens, but it's because we just don't have that extreme confidence that it is. Yes, absolutely. A 10. And we're willing to take the risk of cracking it out. Um, so that's why, that's why crossover rates are actually low. It's not because, you know, the grade, the grades are inconsistent. So I just want, that's actually something I've, I really enjoyed learning by the way. <laughs> and, is crossover a service that you see continuing? Like, like yeah. as far as a customer submitting the card in the competitor slab? Yeah, I do think it's important. You know, I, I people disagree with me on this, but you know, I don't love the idea of hobbyists crack. You know, buying tile cutters and you know, <laughs> you know, shaving off a finger, <laughs> like trying to, you know. And I've damaged cards myself. Like I, I used to not actually like grades, and so I busted cards out of holders just because I liked them raw, like the PGM greens. I used to crack them out of any holder just because I wanted them all raw at one point. So you risk damaging the card. I think the, I think the professionals who sealed them or, you know, know, have experience in sealing and, and cracking should be the ones cracking. That's my personal opinion. So, you know, we will, but we do encourage people to actually crack their cards, but it will, it takes us a long time. Currently it's, you know, we, we, remove the service up until a high, very high level because it actually is much more time consuming to cross over a card than to grade a raw card. Um, so if you have the means and the ex expertise, you should crack them just because it'll actually be faster. But yeah. Yeah. Um, Mr. LAGN says, uh, any comments on recent fake PSA slabs and, uh, do you have anyone taking these down from sites? Yeah, we have a team that's looking into this every time they come up. Um, we we scour, you know, eBay and forums and believe it or not, <laughs> and Instagram. I mean, we're, we're on it. But like I said, as a private company, we're not the authorities. We can only do so much. We do alert authorities. We do alert eBay. We do alert, you know, any auction house that has a, a, fake, a slab we believe is fake. We will always take in a slab to confirm authenticity or provide an opinion. Um we send nasty letters and get lawyers involved all the time with these with these idiots out there, and and we're we're more than willing to to amp that up. Uh, I would say it's pretty rare as a as a volume of cards, but it is a big concern. I mean, I've had it happen. I've bought a cards on eBay that came back as in a fake PSA slab. I totally get it. So, Toa Hang says, is PSA actively using Genement, or has it yet to be implemented? It's not. It's not in operational use yet. It's still. I mean, we are doing a lot of stuff with it, but it's not being used by the grading team yet. Any timeline on that? Mm, this year, for sure. Daniel A says, uh, "Any chance of getting a grading facility in Canada?" I'd love to. Yeah, we're 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 uh, we're definitely considering it. It's probably a lower priority than it sh than than I than I would like it to be, just because of the extreme need to to expand capacity in the United States. But I think, as I share with you, <laughs> uh, you know, we're we're we've got our eyes set on it for sure. Uh, a lot of passionate collectors uh, in Canada. Um, we'd love to. We'd love to be there. It's just you know, it might take us a little bit of time. Mister Wonderful says, if you could give Panini and Tops advice to make grading cards easier, what would it be? I mean, I've thought about this a bunch. Uh, I've got some friends at these. I mean, I would personally love to see a closer collaboration with them and all the grading companies around sharing uh, manufacturer specifications on sizing. Um, you know, for really high end cards, I'd love to get photos of all the patches and autographs from them before they go in the pack. So we know if the patches or autos had been wiped or, or swapped or wiped. Um, I don't know if they have that level of capacity, but or capability, but 
we get blamed if the if you know if the card was an older and it's the how do we know if it's the original patch or not? You know, the tops or Panini certainly does. Um, so those are some examples. Yeah. Okay. Uh, JSUT card says, any plan to grade the star Michael Jordan in the, in the future, the star 101 in particular? Yeah, we'd love to. I mean, honestly, uh, if you know the details of this, you'd be terrified about it because we take this very seriously, the buyback policy in particular. Like, we don't want to grade cards that we're not confident in our ability to, to confirm authenticity. And star cards in particular, um, you know, are really hard to de determine authenticity, to be honest. And so we're not going to do it until we have an extreme level of confidence. Cause if we screw that up, we're buying it back. Uh, again, that's why, that's why we take it so seriously. That's why we don't grade them. So we are looking into it though. Uh, I love star cards. Um, it's so interesting. This is a very common question. You know, there, there's not that many of them out there, believe it or not. Uh, there's many more other manufacturers, but they are important cards. We are geared towards collectors. We'd love to support it. Uh, but we, we need to gain more confidence in our ability to, to determine authenticity. All right. Thank you. Uh, card porn mm. says, send the fakes to them on Instagram. They report them to PSA who take them down the same day. And I mean, I have seen that happen. So at card porn on Instagram, uh, mosaic mind, like, I, I know, I know you're not going to have a specific answer for this, but you know, can you give us an idea of, uh, what kind of percentage of the business comes from overseas? Uh, it's actually a lot. Um, we it's mainly through dealers. So we have a, a number of dealers in certain countries around the world who aggregate those orders and then send them to us. But uh, you know, as a percentage, I don't know the exact percentage, but it's it's probably larger than you think, especially with uh, trading card games like Pokemon and that sort of thing, soccer cards. Um, I would say it's much smaller than it should be. You know, we we aren't making it easy on people to send. You know, we don't have local grading, and like I get it. You don't want to ship cards across the Atlantic Ocean or Pacific. Like totally, <laughs> I wouldn't either. You know, if it's a million dollar card, um, so it, it, you know we need to get better, primarily in having, you know, local grading facilities for them. Yeah, but we do yeah. get a lot even then. So here's a question you'll enjoy from Latrell Spreewell says, how many more PMG greens do you need to finish your set? What would be your greatest accomplishment in the hobby? Hmm. And any chance you open a museum with those cards? Finally, a collecting question. <laughs> um, I would say, I think I'm at nine to go. Um, I know where I've seen six of them. So I know I can get six of them in theory. Uh, three of them I have not seen. Del Curry, Del Curry, Dale Ellis, and Horace Grant. I have not seen those three, um, but I've seen the others. And so that would definitely be the greatest accomplishment in my collecting experience. But I have some bigger ones that I'm not even starting yet, like uh, high-end 52 top set, high grade, I mean, um, which I would love to do, but I think is impossible at this point, thanks to some other big collectors. Mm -hmm. Oh, and also the PSA 10 run of Mickey Mantle tops. Um, that's insane at this point. I don't think I'll ever get that done. But you don't have the fifty. What's your highest grade fifty-two tops mantle? A seven point five, which is beautiful. I love. I, I don't know. I love half grades in PSA for some reason. The seven fives and eight fives, but mine. I just. I thought. I love. I, I saw it on Heritage. I had no intention of buying a, a one below a nine. Uh, and then I saw the prices of nine. I was like, maybe I'll go lower. And the seven and a half was just beautiful, so I picked it up. But I'm waiting for a higher grade one. I haven't loved the nines that have come out. The tens are, are locked away for, for as far as I can tell the three of them, they're six nines. And um, I don't know. They're, you know, they're, they're so unique. Every card's so unique. Um, each of those, which is why they're great. 
in, in many ways. And what about the museum question? I, you know, because yeah. I, I, it's you, some people might think it's a silly question, but I don't. I actually think it's it's a great question. I think a lot of us who are collectors, we'd love to showcase our cards and let people see them as we're we're, we're historians to a degree. Have you ever any, had any thought of doing that? Uh, I have. I don't really love the idea because it's like a, I don't know, it's like a hassle. <laughs> but yeah. I like I, you know, I cards, you know, I, I, so I have let some, like, you know, some folks display some of my stuff at the national a few years ago. Golden was one. I mean, I, I do, I'm totally open to that idea. I just personally don't have the like bandwidth to think about it and security and like all that stuff. But a lot of my high end stuff, I don't even have on me anymore. I keep, I vaulted it. Um, that's why I don't have some of my really crazy stuff tonight for you, but, um, I couldn't get it, get it in time. But, um, anyway, yeah, I do. I do like that. Maybe when I'm, you know, old and decrepit and my kids don't want the cards, I'll you know, <laughs> put them in a museum. I still find it interesting. I don't, I don't fully believe people want a, a museum of like the stuff I have. I totally get like the pre-war, like Honus Wagner's, but like, a bunch of us '90s basketball guys, as as passionate and crazy as we are, I still don't believe there's more than like 200 of us. So, so this museum is not going to be very well trafficked, if I had to guess. Well, so. maybe not right now, not. But you know, to me, that that second half of the '90s is a is one of the most important era, eras within our hobby, and I think that down the road. Um, it's going to be a very important time, and that will be a, that would be a, a, a well frequented uh, museum, in my opinion. W whether it's your collection or somebody else's, but uh... well, the thing I've done, which which I will I will not say the location of, is I have a separate uh, like you know room just for me and close friends that displays my uh, favorite wax and unopened boxes, which I have a lot of. And um, as an example, I brought one over. So this is my favorite box. This is. 97 metal universe this is what you could find in theory pmg greens in maybe I've your got, uh, del, maybe your del curry's in there that yeah, could be probably not but uh i've got uh, i think at least 20 boxes of this by the way which i have slowly accumulated over mm, 15 20 years um and they're very rare to find i love i think they're so cool they're in there this is the best condition one like, as far as like shrink wrap and everything um but uh yeah, I mean, every time I see, I mean, I remember like salivating over these, at, you know, card shows in the '90s. But um, yeah. that kind of thing. So I do have a display of of high end boxes, um, you know, stacked up and like, you know, with you know, um, and I have like, you know, by year. So like '96, I have well, I have '93 because the finest, which is the first refractor set. I have a vintage section, which is like '80s. Well, '86 floor is not really vintage, but I consider it so '70s basketball, so on. It's all sorted by sport, and then '96, '97, '98, 2003. Uh, you know, in 2012, because I love Prism the first year. I don't love Prism after that. And then, um, you know, things like that are all sorted out. And, and so it is kind of like a museum to me, the wax. So do you have any national treasures? I do. I don't. Uh, I really hope someone from Panini is not watching. I freaking hate the cards these days, to be honest. Like, it drives me nuts that we have one card company uh, for basketball. Um, you know, national treasures is a total ripoff of exquisite. And why am I opening a $4,000 box and get a freaking Tony Kukoc autograph and an Allen Houston? Like they, those players should be banned from a high end product. Um, personally, uh, I know they don't control the secondary price of these things, but you know, they're still very expensive off the, off the rack from the manufacturer. So I think we need to get back to competition and card manufacturing. Um, and, 
National Treasures is, I should say, it's totally sufficient, but it is by no means innovative. Or And like the blockchain cards, like, give me a break. Like, just yeah. let's get back to designing really cool cards and get rid of sticker autos. And <laughs> anyway, I could talk to you for hours about my, my you know, hatred of the new cards. But yeah, those are some examples. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do want to touch on the competition aspect with you for a second. But first, Mike Wick wants to know, what is your favorite sports card in your collection? And I just got to tell you, Nat, when people ask me this question, I hate the question because it's like there's 300 of them. I can't pick one. Can you pick one? Yeah, I mean, if I if my house is burning down, it's not in my house. But if my if I if my collection was burning down and I had one, I would take my 54 tops, Hank Aaron, PSA 10 for sure. Okay, that was that's quick and easy for you for sure. I, I don't have a quick answer like that for my collection. Competition. You just mentioned, you know, it comes up a lot. You know, we're in this single licensee era in each sport and a lot of people want more competition. They think that it'll it'll make the card companies more innovative and uh, and it'll just be better for the hobby. Some people say that's not the case. I've always thought that, you know, if not always based on the last year, I have thought that if there was ever a time when we could move from single license to multi-license, it might be right about now. We'd have to consider the current contracts when they expire, of course. But right now, everybody who's in sports and is in uh, every licensor must be aware of what's going on in the hobby right now and just how, how much it's exploded. So it seems to me like the leagues and the PAs might be of the mindset now to say, hey, we can expand our revenue. We can increase our revenue by adding more licensees and maybe hiring people to manage this because that's been one of the factors as to why they haven't in the past. They just couldn't be bothered is my understanding from some in, from, from some people who seem to be in the know. So what do, you, what do you think? I mean, do you think that now might be the time for the leagues and the PAs to start looking to multiple licenses? I, I don't know the leagues. I mean, I would think so. I mean, the card companies have to be making money hand over fist. I, you know, just looking at the prices of things. Um, and the demand. I mean, you know, I went to, I was uh, at a card shop uh, yesterday and today, uh, you know, one in Michigan and then I was in Michigan yesterday and then one in New Jersey today, Bob Beck, by the way, in Livingston, it's a great shop. Um, you know, they can't keep stuff on the shelf. So the card companies have to be just printing money. And so I, if I were a league, I'd be, you know, wanting some of that money. I mean, at the end of the day, they're the content owner. They own the logos and the likeness of you know all the leagues league stats and all that stuff so i would think they they would i'm not you know i guess you get into like do you make more money with one exclusive than two non-exclusive i don't know i mean the leagues i mean they go they go back and forth i'm sure over the decades um but one thing's for sure as a collector you know i would love freaking tops chrome and basketball again i would love you know, Fleer Sky, I would love Jambalaya basketball cards of Upper Deck. We could get, you know, so we'll, you know, Michael Jordan, LeBron autos, by the way, Upper Deck has the, they can't make them, you know, with their, like, it's crazy. Uh, that kind of stuff needs to happen. But I doubt the leagues are care so much about us collectors more than they do the, the money. But I don't know. So it was when you showed your the box of uh, Metal Universe, a lot of people are wanting you to to rip it right now. Open yeah. it, card porn, rip yeah. it, rip it, rip it. No, you want to, any chance? Card porn needs to back off. No, <laughs> it wasn't just card porn though. Big unit yeah. too. We had a few of them. We had a few of them. Um, seeing as you showed us that box, any chance the PSA would be grading sealed boxes in the future? Asks Wise Collectibles. Um, it's really hard, you know, box vintage boxes, you know, we, we have a, uh, 
I personally love uh, baseball card exchange, Steve Hart. Uh, everything I have vintage, you know, wax is is sealed by him, or I don't buy it. Uh, modern stuff's really hard to do that. I don't see a huge need for it personally. Um, but you know, never say never. I'm a big believer in pack grading. Um, I brought a bunch of them here to show you in a second, but um, and including modern packs. I mean, well, you can't really grade a foil pack, but I think it's cool to have a slab foil pack. I collect those too. Um, so, but yeah, we'll do more of that for sure. It's kind I'm, of hard to say encapsulating a big box is also a little weird. Yeah. Uh, like a big, big hunk of plastic. I don't know. The, the, the wrapping that Steve does is pretty damn good. I'm a big fan of the, the graded wax pack as well. I have a run of uh, Opeachy hockey from 1970 oh. to till 89. And uh, I think they just make beautiful display pieces. And as a, as a collector, they really, they really call on your, your nostalgia uh, from, you know, if you're old enough to have opened up packs back in the, you know, as early as the eighties or, or earlier, of course. So I'm definitely with you on that. Uh, trigger finger. A nice question. Uh, what's your favorite sport and who are some of your favorite players? Uh, my favorite sport is golf. Actually. <laughs> uh, I don't collect golf cards as much cause they're not as cool, but I love basketball as a, uh, secondary or second sport. Uh, I watched a ton of it. I probably collected the most ba baseball as well, but I'd say basketball more. Um, Players, LeBron, Jordan, Coating. I like the generational athletes pretty much in every sport. Uh, so I'm not super creative there. I do have some some random players I like, uh, you know, more you know, newer guys and stuff that I love watching, like Luca and John Morant and those guys. Um, baseball, I really love watching the Braves and the Astros and the Yankees. I'm, I kind of have ties to all three of those places. And so, you know, I love Acuna and uh, – big fan of Garrett Cole, you know, some guys like that on the baseball side football. I, I, I like watching, you know, I do it for fantasy sports. I don't really collect a ton of football cards. I collect Brady. Cause again, generational athlete kind of guy, but um, I have very few football cards and I have like three hockey cards. No offense. <laughs> I just, <laughs> <laughs> the, those being the three that you just showed. Uh, no, no, no. Those are my friends. I have a, um, I actually had an OPC, OPC, Gretzky I don't anymore uh I have a second year Gretzky PSA 10 I have a Sidney Crosby upper deck 10 and an Ovechkin SP authentic auto 10 however I do have something really cool in hockey Ooh, yeah that is really cool yeah and then yeah. I, also have, I have two others I have a um 86, 86. OPC and then this bad boy Ooh, 85 84 84 excuse me yeah exactly it says 85 on it but that's the that's 84 84 85 yep yeah those are those are great man yeah and, and i'm with you on the steve hart thing i, I all my unopened packs came well i'd say 90 percent of my unopened packs came from steve hart in the late 2000s buying them from him at, at nationals uh great guy for sure and i know that i i do is it still the case that um any pack that is submitted to psa for grading goes through hit goes through him first for the the uh, unaltered to make sure they're not altered or previously opened or resealed. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that, that's uh, that, that's pretty important, I think. Let's see some cards, man. Yeah, I don't have all my crazy stuff tonight, but um, I'll show you a couple things, mainly boxes and packs. And well, here's some prism golds I pulled. I collect the twelve prism set. So here's Kevin Durant. Can you just, before you show these, can you explain the significance of these cards? 
Yeah, well, 2012 Prism was the first Prism set for basketball. First and only good one, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, they had a pretty good rookie class. Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis, Dame Lillard. <clears throat> um, so uh, Prism Golds are like, uh, you know, the rare parallel. They had the, well, they stole the refractor concept from tops um so they call it prism and then there's the prism gold so there's silver prism they called it prism that year but prism gold they're only 10 of each so there's serial number on the back to 10 right here um and then they're pretty rare i mean you know you can open a whole case and not get one uh you know 12 boxes or so i think it's probably one for 20 i, I don't know the exact they don't say the pack odds but it's a really hard set um you know back then they were pretty cheap i think like low, most like high end stuff now it used to be pretty cheap except for exquisite. I mean, these things were like, you know, three, $4 packs. Now they're $14,000 for a box. Um, but yeah, that's the, and they're, and they're, they come up. I mean, commons are like thousand dollars now. Um, anyway, so that's KD. Um, anyway, Dirk, uh, but this is the, this is a really good one. This is Anthony Davis. Rookie card. And let, you know, I just said rookie card, but you know, it's a rookie card parallel. What are your, do you feel with the, with the, with the proliferation of parallels and inserts that we've seen over the past several years? Do you feel that the this the that the rookie card itself has lost any ground against some of these other rarer and often prettier cards? And as far as the importance in the hobby, yeah. So I made a decision, in, I'll never forget in two thousand five. I was collect oh three. I was collecting the LeBron rookie master set in back at nine fives, me and this other guy in Jersey were com always competing for, for, and I have him over here. Um, the, so I, I had a decision that I only collected the base rookie, no parallels, no inserts. Bob Morris, who's on Bob Amtrak on uh, Instagram is the other guy. He collected the um, inserts and parallels, which he was much smarter. So <laughs> two years later, I said, shit, I made a mistake. I need to collect parallels. So I believe parallels of the base rookie are actual true rookie cards. Um, they're just proxies. You know, they have a higher you know, multiple of value or whatever. Kind of going back to the Beckett price guide days of, you know, refractors or 2X or whatever. So I, I don't collect rookie inserts as much for non-LeBron guys. Uh, I think it's cool. But, like, honestly, the Panini game for inserts is is garbage. Uh, you know, like, they're all, they're like – they're useless. The, the insert, like they don't have the like one out of 72 pack odds, like big inserts, like upper deck and flare used to have. So it's all about the parallels and they have 30 parallels. And so I think that's the mistake they're making is, you know, getting way too many variations of the exact same card, same photos. Like you look at these, they have the same photo on the front and the back, you know, like they even have the same photo across sets. Like there's no, you know, innovation getting back to my rant. So um Yeah. I think that I, then the, so I've just latched on to gold. And the only reason I think is because mentally there are gold refractors from the nineties that like in 99 finest had one. Uh, and I go back to that. I'm like, Oh, kind of similar. It allows me to like collect some new stuff and still have a connection to the past. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I love it, man. I've got a couple, couple more comments. We're going to wind this down in about eight minutes, everybody. Uh, we're going to keep it to two hours. I will be coming back about 50 uh, at the quarter after the hour with Chris McGill from Card Ladder. We're going to uh, debrief a little bit of this, talk about some other things. We'll invite you all back to that. It'll be a separate broadcast on the channel. 
I'm going to take a second now and just welcome everybody here. We've had uh, very strong viewership all evening. So I want to thank Nat. Uh, thank, just thank you, Nat, for kind of attracting so many people to the show. I do appreciate it. I want to shout out Card Porn for doing a, one, one of those swipe ups on their story to uh, let the their audience know that we were doing this tonight. If you're new to the Sports Cards Live, welcome to the show, everybody. Please hit the subscribe button, hit the like button, all those things that, that the YouTubers ask for. Greatly appreciate it. I do bring you guys what I think are great guests every Saturday night been going on. This is episode number 100 and I do do the after hours show as well. A little bit more laid back, but we'll be getting there. As I said, with Chris McGill in about 20 minutes from right now, after we let Nat go, but Nat, I, I want to ask you this and this, this one I, I wasn't planning, but it sort of came to mind, you know, there's, there's no regulation in our, in this hobby. I, I don't believe. I mean, the, some of the some of the uh, the fractional ownership companies have have a degree of regulation by the SEC, but the card companies, the grading companies, the selling platforms, the auction houses, there's really no regulation. Has this has has the lack of that ever crossed your mind? And do you think the hobby needs something like that? Um. Definitely the uh, fractional guys. I think it's really thin ice territory what some of them are doing personally, um, like with retained ownership where you, they can sell pieces of a card, but still have a majority owned by the owner and complete control. Uh, a lot of them feel exactly like securities. The SEC should completely be overseen, in my opinion, the protection of the, the retail investor in some of these platforms. Uh, maybe I'm off on that, but i I don't know. I think it's a security when I look at that stuff uh, more broadly. I don't know what there could be. I mean, I think financially, sure. Like with, uh, with, you know, ensuring people are claiming gain and, you know, that sort of thing on cards. Um, uh, but, you know, when it comes to like money laundering and like all that stuff, I don't really think there's a ton of that happening. Oh, I think for sure with like shilling and fraud, like trimming, like, yeah, I mean, there should totally be, you know, uh, and FBI probably level if there isn't, I think there hopefully is already just based on his history with Bill Mastro and all that stuff. Um, you know, uh, authorities going after the, the fraudsters, which any hop, I mean, look, when you see the prices go up, like you have in our industry, there's going to be fraud. And so I, I think you're seeing that. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, Jake from nineties b-ball cards. I want to bring uh, one of his questions is rumors have it that the arenas who were the original designers of a lot of the FLIR and skybox inserts from the nineties that we all love to this day, uh, the arenas are getting back into the card arena pun, probably not intended. How would you feel about them getting back into desi designing inserts with Panini? I would love them back in the, in the guard game for sure. They're awesome. Both of them. Um, I don't know how I feel about the Panini thing. If Panini would, would, you know, give them complete freedom and listen to them, then yeah. But, you know, their intellectual property they created with Flare Skybox, which Upper Deck owns, is the most, you know, probably as an older guy, you know, weird to say from the 90s, like I would love, I, my first preference would be to see them bring that stuff back. See, but, then yeah. that's why you got to get into hockey cards because we yeah. have them. I know they have, yeah, I know. I've seen it. But, yeah. <laughs> Do you have any interest in hockey? Do you have a team? Are you, are you a Rangers fan? What, what's the, what's the deal? My son's, my son's favorite sport is hockey and he's a Rangers fan. So we go to like one or two Rangers games a year, but I don't care. <laughs> I don't care for it. There's a player, you're high, the old goalie. Um, Lundqvist? 
Lundquist, his kids go to my kid's school. And so I, I've met him and I didn't know his name, but, but I, you know, I met him in the like drop off line. And yeah. I think I was the only guy who wasn't like, you know, fawning over him, but. Nice. Nice. Okay. Well, listen, now we're going to, I'm going to wrap this up with a couple of the thank you con uh, comments that are coming through. And, uh, and then we're going to wrap this up guys in about, in about three minutes here. But, um, so let, let's just go ahead and do some of, I like this. Logan Ward says you can't have the national without Nat. That's a good one, Logan. Very well. Logan's the newest guest host on hobby hotline Saturday mornings, everybody on the hobby hotline channel on YouTube. Uh, MMA says, uh, yeah, you're welcome, MMA. Steve Foley says, congrats, Jeremy, on episode 100. Nat, thank you for what you're doing for the industry. We know what you're doing is not easy, so thank you. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, Steve Menzi, the owner of the Sport Card Expo Virtual Edition coming up on June 19th and 20th, and the physical version coming back in November in Toronto, which I encourage everybody to come to Toronto for the Expo. It is the second biggest card show in the world and I love it. So make sure you come up to that one. Uh, thank you, Steve. Scott, uh, thank you very much, Scott, for that. Thank you, Nat, for being so candid. Currency Project says, these guys do great work, uh, like actually original art on cards. Check them out on Instagram. Says, Nat, from your experience, what is the biggest piece of wisdom you can offer other collectors in the hobby? And thanks for taking time for us tonight. I'll give you a shot at that one, Nat. Stop caring about price of your cards. Collect what you like. <laughs> there you go. Collect what you like. Exactly. I'll leave you with mine real quick. So I don't, this is a 52 baseball pack. Nickel pack too. Yeah. How cool is that? That's, that, that's like extreme cool, man. Extreme cool. That, that's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm giant size. Giant. Yeah. I'm an, I'm an, I'm an unopened pack guy too. So I, I absolutely love that. Carvin Chung, who is the inventor of Exquisite, says, let's see some 0304 Exquisite LeBrons. I don't have the card, but... I love how we can see his reflection <laughs> in the window. <laughs> Here we go. Got a box for you. That's it. For there Calum. you go. Carvin, there you go. There you go. There. Carvin was, the, was guest number one on this show back on April the 18th of 2020. Yeah. which uh, really started the show off with a bang back then. Thanks. Big shout out to Carvin for that. Uh, Yamwax, very popular account on Instagram. Thanks, Nat. Congrats to Jeremy. Thank you, Yam. Logan Ward, looking forward to meeting the National Nat. Daniel Busby, thanks for coming by. Kevin Douglas says, thanks, Nat. As a large submitter from Canada, pleasure to hear about the changes and updates. Steve Tingwall, thank you very much. Latrell Spreewell, thank you to Nat. I appreciate you doing this. You're a great ambassador for our hobby. Appreciate your passion. Uh, love you and love Jeremy. Thank you very much, Latrell Spreewell. You betcha, Carvin. Kyle Brown, great interview and conversation with a legit legend of the hobby. Congrats on episode one. Thank you very much, Kyle Brown. Much appreciated. Thank you, Aaron Rasmus. Very much appreciated. Michael Ham says, thank you for answering tough questions and being honest with us. It goes a long way. I agree. That's really nice, Michael. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jose. Thank you, Jake. Mr. Wonderful says, Nat, you're the man. Congrats on all your recent success. Big unit. Great show, guys. Thank you, Jeremy and Nat. Hit the like button, guys. Yeah, guys, please hit that like button. Really appreciate it. Bobby Burrell, hockey historian, legend at the Toronto Expo. Thanks, Nat, for your candor. <laughs> Logan, Logan Ward, agree. I think he likes your, your box of uh, national treasures. I can keep going here, guys. Listen, we're, we're going to call it a night, right? Well, we're going to call it a show right there. Uh, again, Nat, thank you so much. Everybody out there, remember, we will be back in about 15 minutes with Chris McGill, co-founder of Card Ladder, House of Jordan's podcast, 
one of the most articulate guys in the hobby. I can't wait to bring him on. We're going to we're gonna tone this thing down, have a good chat with him. So again, Nat, thanks for your time, man. Really appreciate it. Final yeah. comments from you. No, thanks for everything you're doing. Happy uh, collecting. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. All right, Nat, you hang on right there. Everybody else, be back on, on the channel, Sports Cards Live, again in about 10, 15 minutes with Chris McGill. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for the chat action, everybody, tonight. If we don't see you later, have a great week. We'll be back here next Saturday. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.